I'm Chris Motes, and this is Faith in Politics. On this broadcast, we range from the soul to the state as we explore those principles and cultivate those virtues that help us live well as faithful Catholics in this great land. Welcome back for another episode, folks. Glad you're with me. We are coming up on uh, a summertime. It's very exciting in the great state of South Dakota. We're under God, the people. Kind of excited. We got the flags coming out in the neighborhood. People are, you know, kind of getting the yard spruced up. And I'm, I'm pretty proud. I'm embracing that principle of subsidiarity. I have been flying very proudly the South Dakota flag on my front porch for a while. Love that uh, state motto, under God's people rule. It's just like the right ordering of things, isn't it? So um, speaking of right ordering of things and like living well in the public square, we've talked about a number of issues in the past, familiar to listeners, topic of medical conscience, was a subject of, of great debates during our last legislative session in South Dakota. Talked, uh, talked much about pro-life matters, uh, gender ideology, and, and all these various issues that um, kind of swirl around in what we could call health uh, healthcare, Catholic healthcare. Really excited uh, to have on the program today, Doug Wilson. Doug is the CEO of the Catholic Benefits Association, and we're going to talk a little bit more, uh, a little bit more about the CBA, what they do, why it's important, and some of these kind of pressing issues um, that uh, just really give like a, a real urgency and vitality to their mission. So, Doug, welcome to the show. Chris, thanks so much. Glad to be here. I'm glad you're getting some spring up your way. I'm looking out the window here in Colorado at what I sure hope is our last snow of the year. Snow. Oh, no. Well, at least, um, you know, sometimes even if it's snow, that moisture is good. Uh, It's, you know, living in an agricultural part of the country, it's always like wanting that perfect balance. Um, And I know we've been wanting a little rain around here lately and uh, been glad to be getting it. But um, Doug, to get started, maybe just if you could just tell your name, I'm sure is new to a lot of our listeners. So who are you? Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself personally? Uh, well, you mentioned uh, being appreciative of snow and moisture. Uh, my wife, Kathy, and I have a farm here in Colorado. And uh, when we don't have other things to do, we're raising and training Belgian draft horses and have a farm full of adopted animals. Uh, I wish I had more time for it. But uh, I think you mentioned gender identity and health plans in the same breath. And 10 or 12 years ago, who would have ever thought that the two would intersect but here we are and so more of my time is spent uh with catholic benefits association well and and kind of bringing up that topic too i mean i think if if people have heard of catholic benefits association maybe you're you know you're just run-of-the-mill catholics in the pews it would have been because you guys were in the news this last winter and i want to get to this big news story this victory you had in court but but first set the stage for us what what is Catholic Benefits Association, where did it come from? What's its like reason for existence and its origin story? Genesis, so to speak. Yeah. 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 What's in, the genesis? In, well, in the beginning, there was Obamacare <laughs> and, and it was bad. Uh, but I'm, I'm kidding when I say that. Let's let's be clear here on, on the, the matters that we're going to talk about today. And, and uh, it, it bears repeating that as Catholics, we're all 100 percent behind health care and, and certainly behind providing uh, as much health care to as many people as, as we possibly can. And so Amen. 
to say that we were uh, uh, philosophically opposed to Obamacare would, would not be true. Yeah. But unfortunately, uh, when Obamacare got through Congress, there were a lot of empty boxes in it. Uh, those boxes were empty on purpose because it probably never would have gotten through Congress if uh, the folks voting knew what was going to go into those boxes. Yeah. And uh, one of the ones that came to light in the early days uh, was something called preventative health care for women and who could possibly be opposed to that. Right. Uh, but uh, they tossed into that box things like contraceptives, abortifacients, sterilization. Uh, my favorite is that, you know, we'll, we'll, don't worry about it. We'll counsel your kids about contraceptives and, and such. You don't need to uh, mm. be concerned. Uh, and so it was it was a dilemma for for church leaders who were trying to provide benefits and, and health care for, for their employees. And the USCCB did reach out to President Obama and explained that while we were very supportive of the concept, if you would just carve out a couple of things here for us Catholics, because there's things that it's not that we don't want to do them, Mr. President, but we can't. And the answer to that was, well, you're going to have to figure out a way to do it because we're not going to change. Uh, yeah. It was a short answer. And uh, a short version of the story is uh, Cardinal Dolan asked uh, Archbishop Laurie, who uh, for many years led the USCCB con uh, Committee on Religious Liberty, to try to find an answer to this. And the answer was an association of Catholic employers. And in the early days, that consisted mostly of, of Catholic dioceses who came together to find a way to get those things carved out of health plans. And that's what led to our first federal lawsuit on the issues. So maybe tell us a little bit about that. Um, and for listeners who, who aren't familiar, this was there was just a judgment that came down in January, I think it was, uh, from our neck of the woods, uh, a federal a federal court up in North Dakota. Um, yeah, that's that's correct. That's actually uh, the third of our our uh, wins in in uh, federal court on issues very similar to these. Uh, back in 2013, we filed our first lawsuit on behalf of our membership and challenged the contraceptive mandates and the fact that Catholic employers were going to be required to uh, provide such things in their health plans. Uh, the most notable that everybody's familiar with, of course, is the Little Sisters of the Poor. Right. And the government, for some reason, felt that nuns needed to distribute contraceptives. Uh, we did go to court. Uh, we won a full victory on behalf of our membership. Um, and they were exempted from having to provide those services. And so that, that was the first one. What was the second case then? The second case actually occurred after the first one, and it was very similar in that uh, when we did win this victory, more and more uh, groups wanted to join the CBA and we wanted to provide the protections for them. We asked the judge to allow that. Uh, we also found that many of our members, when they told their insurance companies and third party administrators that we don't have to do this anymore, we're told that, well, that's good for you, but we're still mandated to do it. And so it's going to go in your health plan, whether you want it or not. Yeah. So in our second case, we begged for relief for third party administrators and insurance companies, as well as the ability to bring new new members 
under the coverages that we had, had achieved. Um, the judge realizing that if we didn't succeed in this, he'd be having a new lawsuit on his desk every six months as we tried to bring in new members. And so we did win a very unusual uh, ruling from the court that not only protected our members, but their insurance companies, their third party administrators, and allowed us to bring into membership new Catholic entities and give them the same protections. So uh, it was a precedent setting victory for us and allowed us to continue to grow as we have now through the years. Uh, we're over 70 dioceses and 1,100 Catholic employers, including hospitals, universities, uh, private Catholic companies. Well, and I want to just kind of bring this uh, back down for a minute because, you know, if you're if you're listening into this conversation, um, talking with Doug Wilson, he's the CEO of Catholic Benefits Association. We're talking about conscience protections and, and what CBA is doing in in the realm of um, Catholic healthcare, Catholic insurance, uh, providing. Um, insurance benefits, health insurance benefits for Catholic entities. And you're hearing like third party administrator and entities. <laughs> and and it's just like, here's the bottom line is that uh, there, uh, th there are laws that purport to force nuns to provide contraception. That's the bottom line. That's not good. Um, you know, it's just like, we can't do that as Catholics, whether you're a nun or whether you're just like a faithful layperson, um, whether you're a, whether you're a parish or diocese, like we're just not going to do that. Um, and as you, as you put it, so just diplomatically, like, and I mean that in the best sense of the word, like so gen uh, gently, as you were sort of relating the story of the USCCB engaging with the Obama administration, Mr. President, you know, we support this, just to feel philosophically like, yeah, healthcare is a great thing. It's not that we don't want to do these things. It's just, we cannot do certain things um, because we all know that at the end of our lives, we stand before God and we've got to answer for ourselves. We've got to answer for bishops, especially, you know, they answer for the way in which they shepherd and lead and pastor the church, which um, I think people get that. Like there's this image of the little sisters of the poor, you know, standing on the Supreme Court steps. It's like, yeah, people get that, which maybe brings us up to Doug. This is um, maybe the you're three for three. And this is the most recent case, not dealing with uh, sterilization or contraception, but with this new gender ideology that's exploded onto the scene in the last, I think it was 2015 when, um, the, the Olympian athlete, uh, Bruce Jenner, now goes by Caitlyn Jenner, was on the cover of Vanity Fair magazine. It's only been six years since that happened. But uh, maybe tell us a little bit about this most recent case and this victory um, at the Eighth Circuit. Well, Chris, the, the ideology is, is never ceased to, to move forward. But unfortunately, as, as the years have passed, the environment has become ever more toxic. And the portrayal of, of what we do sometimes gets mixed up with uh, rights versus uh, whether or not we're, we're actually discriminating against uh, a certain group of people. Uh, we became aware back in late 2016 of uh, yet another Obamacare mandate that would require employers to provide in their healthcare programs uh, services, which covered the full range of, of the transgender journey as it's referred to, uh, beginning with hormones and psychological counseling, but then proceeding through uh, a list that was 18 pages long of, of just horrific uh, uh, mutilizations of the bodies that were created by God, man and 
a woman uh, to change them into something else or somebody's idea of what something else might be. Uh, and again, this is something that um, I, I always try to be clear on this because it, it, it uh, gets rather confrontational rather quickly. Uh, the church does not condemn transgender people. The church doesn't mm -hmm. condemn gay and lesbian people. Uh, it's the acts that come from that, uh, that that are problematic. And, and the mm -hmm. fact that our government uh, was determined to cause Catholic employers to not only accept that, but to support it and, and fund it. And so as we as we pursue these fights, uh, it has nothing to do with the individuals themselves, but rather the right of Catholics to live our faith uh, through not only going to church, uh, but how we run our businesses, how we run our dioceses and, and what they do uh, that represents the Catholic faith. And so um, we found very early on that, that the things that were going to be required of employers with the same federal penalties and fines uh, as the cask mandates, as we refer to the contraceptive issue, uh, were there. And so Catholic employers were going to be required to participate in these things. Obviously, that's not something we can do. And we again filed uh, in this time, as you mentioned, in North Dakota. Uh, and one of the named plaintiffs there was uh, the Diocese of Fargo mm. uh, joined us. And we were also joined in that suit by the Catholic Medical Association, in which we argued that these are not things that, that Catholics should or, or wanted to be participating in. Yeah. And I mean, just a really um, just it really highlights the the importance of actually taking um, kind of the legal processes seriously. And, and it, these are really important things. So just to kind of, again, give high level overview for folks is the the judgment that came down out of the eighth circuit. And, the, and there are all these federal circuits. So it's like, you've got the district courts, which in South Dakota, there's one federal district, several, you know, some states have multiple districts, but then there's a circuit court and there are, I don't know, I can't remember right offhand, 15 or so circuits, um, spread throughout the United States, the eighth circuit in which the upper Midwest is kind of North Dakota, South Dakota, Iowa, Minnesota, all the way down to Arkansas, number of states there. That's like kind of the intermediate level between the district court and the Supreme Court. So to have this judgment from the eighth circuit is a really big deal. It's a great, it's a great judgment. And if I remember correctly, um, it's on behalf of not just all the people that you are members right now that you're representing, you know, these um, 60, 70 different Diocese, eleven hundred some different Catholic entities, but it also applies to um, anybody that actually it gives protection to anybody that might join CBA in the future. If I if I remember that right, correct me if That's I'm wrong. That's correct, and it's it's very important, and it's it's actually uh, uh, quite unique. There aren't many rulings that that apply to future uh, participants. Right, which is, I mean, again, just an incredible thing, and and again highlights the the importance of actually, you know, Catholics uh, paying attention to the, to the laws because when you go up and you're arguing in front of the judge, you you got to hand them a law and say, hey, this law protects us, you know, it. Uh, I mean, that's that's essentially what it's coming down to is, hey, we are entitled to the protections as people of faith that are legal protections in our constitution, and um, again, one of the reasons why 
even at the state level, we passed this really great um, religious freedom bill this last year, Senate Bill 124, just a super, this is like a platinum standard uh, religious freedom protection here in the state of South Dakota now. Really important when things come up later in the court of law. One thing that um, that kind of got highlighted a bit later, so you won this big victory in January, Doug, and then um, whenever they're in a court process, whenever you win, your opponent has the opportunity to appeal the judgment. The deadline for the federal administration to file a notice of appeal, which is not filing the appeal, it's kind of just saying we're giving notice that we, we might appeal. They're kind of preserving their rights. The Biden administration did file a notice of appeal, um, I think right up at the deadline in April. Can you share anything about that? You know any expectations or what that might look like any concerns well uh, yes they they did and not not uh, surprisingly at the 23rd hour or 2359 hour uh, of that appeal process did file their notice uh, but that's pretty standard there was no uh, specificity about that uh, about six weeks later, they they have since uh, challenged uh, whether or not, and, and this gets into some some legalese that uh, uh, probably won't go too deeply into, but but some it's some technicalities. They're not arguing the right or wrong of the case particularly, but whether or not uh, uh, CBA uh, has stand what they call standing in this case, which uh, we very comfortably do. Uh, we are unique in that we're organized as an association and we have members all over the country. Uh, CBA can litigate on behalf of those members in any jurisdiction in which we have a, a, a member. And so we're, we're very comfortable that uh, the standing challenge will not hold, but it'll probably take anywhere from 12 to 18 months to work its way through. Uh, I would point out that the uh, Eighth Circuit uh, is has a track record of, of being pretty straight down the line on its support of religious liberties and, and conscience rights. So we're, we're very comfortable that, that we'll prevail in this, but the- yeah, yeah, we're, we're blessed to live in the Eighth Circuit. Eighth Circuit, too, has been really um, uh, just given really good rulings on uh, a lot of the pro-life litigation that has emerged from South Dakota uh, and other states in the circuit too. So it's a, it's a great place to be in just in terms of like getting good case law on, on our issues. I think an important thing to note too, is that while this appeal is ongoing, the, the protections that you, that you've attained for your members, for the association, those remain in effect. So the protections are there, you've won them and they're going to, they're going to stay in effect through the appeal. Um, one thing that you just mentioned, I wanted to circle back to is you mentioned just association and like the power of association. Um, can you just say a little bit about the power of association and how you've seen that kind of play out in practical terms as CBA has grown in its, in its membership as the association has uh, developed and matured? Well, I can I can get academic and go all the way back to a fellow named de Tocqueville, yeah. uh, who was a Frenchman who was greatly enamored of the U.S. Uh, uh, form of government and, and wrote extensively on it. But one of the things that he noted was that the power of uh, those who associate with one another is much greater than the power of, of an individual. And uh, that's that is the case. We represent uh as I say, uh, over 70 dioceses now and, and growing. And what we've found is, is that allows us in a way that nobody could have 
done the litigation that we've done, an individual ministry would have been crushed under the, the, the cost of doing it, let alone the, the logistics and, and uh, other issues. By coming together, we can speak with one voice and it's very powerful. Our attorneys uh, have told me many times that when you're standing in front of a judge and, and you let them know that you're speaking on behalf of almost half of the dioceses in, in the United States, that, that resonates. Yeah. So it gives us the financial wherewithal to have the best legal team available, and we do. Um, and it gives benefit to the greatest number of, of Catholic organizations at a cost that is, is just dramatically less than, than what could have been done otherwise. Yeah, I, I love how you started with the Tocqueville, too, because it is like it's inherent within us as Americans. Like we we associate we like to get together to do stuff. You know, it's one of the freedoms guaranteed by our Constitution, the Bill of Rights. But something I often say to people, too, who I'm working with in the political sphere is that within association, there's this principle of unity. And unity is not just um, a politically powerful strategy. There's also something theologically true within it that that uh, God is one and, and we're made for unity actually. So when we're collaborating with others in the pursuit of truth, goodness, beauty, like that's actually deeply in accord with our nature. Like, so I think it's plays out in beautiful ways and mul multiple different levels. Um, and in the pragmatic uh, view, uh, the fact that, that we are a purely Catholic organization uh, uh, is something that's, that's very important. Uh, when you're being cross-examined in court and, and say something about what the church teaches or what the church says about this, uh, if necessary, when, when you're being cross-examined, you can actually just point to the, to the catechesis. And, and <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it, that's a great point. It is, there, there are no secrets about what the church teaches. It's all written down, you know, so it's like, um, yeah, it's, it's all right there and is a, a profoundly unifying thing that is a great gift. So, hey, one of the other things that, that's come up uh, recently, Doug, was it was May 10th, I want to say. It was earlier in May. The, um, the Department of Health and Human Services, uh, President, Biden, uh, President Biden, issued what they called a notification of interpretation and enforcement. Uh, enforcement. And it stated uh, that effective immediately, HHS, quote, will interpret and enforce Section 1557's prohibition. Uh, and 1557, that's a provision of Obamacare dealing with civil rights, protections for um, no discrimination based on uh, sex, race, religion, et cetera. Prohibition on discrimination on the basis of sex includes discrimination on the basis of gender identity, end quote. So this, and the notification is based on HHS's application of Bostock uh, v. Clayton County, Georgia, which is a listeners go back in previous uh, podcast, uh, podcast episodes. You'll find one um, from last, what was the last one? I'm blanking. Yeah, it was last year. It was 2020. Bostock came out. Time flies. And I spoke with Jason Adkins, the director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, um, and, and he described Bostock as um, a legal earthquake akin to Roe versus Wade, just in terms of how disruptive it was or would be rather in the years ahead. And the, the, the first day or first week of um, President Biden's administration, he issued a series of executive orders that ordered his administration to kind of review um, 
their interpretation of different regulations and the way they apply them to make sure they're consistent with Bostock, which was an employment law context. Now it's being applied to healthcare law. And the, the bottom line is, is, is this, the, the lovers of federal power are kind of being used in a, again, kind of a coercive, coercive way. But what is, Doug, can you share a perspective from CBA on what this notification of interpretation of 1557 means for the Catholic Benefits Association uh, and its kind of legal posture? Well, first, I should point out that when when uh, federal agencies uh, uh, make statements in various forms, they have already established forms and, and ways of doing that. And uh, to the best of our knowledge, the uh, notification, interpretation and enforcement is one that they just made up. Uh, it, it didn't exist prior to this, but it was it was just their way of saying you just had four years of an administration who chose to interpret things this way. We don't. And it was putting everybody on notice that uh, we are going to revert to the original intent, uh, actually, and and, uh, with greater force uh, of the Obamacare uh, 1557 regulation, which I would point out 1557 uh, related uh, more directly to physicians and, and healthcare providers themselves. Mm. And so it in, in itself wasn't that impactful for private employers who weren't healthcare providers or who didn't receive funding from the government for providing healthcare. However, they are doing everything in partnership with EEOC uh, and they have a common interpretation of sex and sexual orientation as uh, does EEOC. And so that's where it came into play with regard to private employers all the way down to 15 employees uh, who were providing health care benefits for their, their uh, employee enrollees. Um, so if, if the federal government can't get you with 1557, EEOC can get you with Title VII. And that's, that's the way that works. And they were putting everybody on notice at that point that we'd had four years of, of non-enforcement of the original intent of yeah. 1557 under the Trump administration. Uh, and that now the Biden administration has every intent to roll back all of the Trump changes that were made and to begin enforcing those those uh, requirements. Yeah, so the, a lot going on, a lot to pay attention to. We've got a couple minutes left, Doug. Any encouragements for what can, you know, what should Catholics be doing? What can, any encouragement to call to action? Well, as we've grown over the years and, and, and we were originally, we came into being simply to go to court and fight on behalf of our Catholic employers. Over time, we've become aware of through working with, with various uh, Catholic employers, dioceses, insurance companies, et cetera, uh, of some needs uh, whenever we would give guidance on, on a, a difficult issue. Uh, we would begin getting phone calls from uh, HR directors. We now have a, a very robust uh, human resources consultative service that helps our, our members implement the protections that, that we uh, provide. We do educational seminars and, and training uh, for our membership as well. And we stress something that we talk about as Catholic identity. It is immensely important that a diocese, a Catholic business, whatever that is, not only has uh, policy policy language in place, but lives that policy language Mm. in a a seamless Catholic way. And we provide a lot of assistance to employers to do that. 
Well, it's, it's beautiful. Your work is so, so important. I'm grateful for you sharing. And, uh, and as, as the situation develops at the federal level too, maybe we'll have you back on in the future to give us, give us an update, but we wish you the very best in your work. And again, thanks for joining us. Well, Chris, thanks so much. I appreciate it. And thank you, as always, dear listeners, for, for tuning in. If you like this episode or if you've got thoughts, don't hesitate to reach out. Tell me what you want to hear about. What are we not covering that you that you want to know more about? Uh, there's, a, there's a lot going on in the world out there, and, um, and it's really important to me. I do want to know, what do you care about? So don't hesitate to reach out, sdcatholicconference.org. You can click contact us and send us a note. Until next time, live well. Live well.